A big hello to our online community watching from all over the world. You've been with Pastor Teresa. I want to say hello. I know we've got members watching from America. We've got members watching from Brazil. We've got members watching from all around Australia. So come on, let's put our hands together and say a big welcome to our C3 Powerhouse Online family. Hey, why don't you, where you're watching from right now, just put in the chat, this is your city, your town or country that you're joining with us this morning. Put it in the chat as we come into the first of our Christmas services. And we'll be doing it this Sunday and then next Sunday as well. The the theme that we're working on is called uh, the Indescribable Gift. The indescribable gift. It's that time of year, which is a little challenging for me, where my wife says, uh, you better give me your wish list. What's on your list? Who, who's, who's in that zone? And I, I, it takes me forever to come up with my wish list of what I'm trying to do and what I'm, what I'm hoping for. So I thought I might share with you some of the classic gifts that have been over the years. Thank you, Ben. You've done a good job. You can grab your seat. Uh, this, this will identify you either as a child of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Just, there's just a few here. The guys might put them up. If you were born maybe in the 50s, you'll remember that the, the most popular gift in 1964 was the G.I. Joe. Just give me a wave if you got one of these as we go through this morning. All right. Maybe in 1965, the most popular gift was called Operation. Okay, Operation. This is, this is ringing true for some of you as well. Uh, in 1966, the most popular gift was Twister, and it's still going strong. Twister is still going strong. That's 19. Uh, all right, coming through 1968. I'm not even born yet. Some of you, you're already in your 20s. Uh, it's uh, it's our Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels was the number one gift of 1968. I'll keep rolling through. Uh, uh, 1971, the year I was born. These were around when I was a kid. They were called Space Hoppers. Space hoppers. Has anyone seen the space hoppers? I'm not sure. Oh, there it is. You used to hold on to them and you bounce around. Give me a wave this morning. Come on in the chat online. Just say, hi, Melbourne. If you had a space hopper, just give us a shout out right now. Then in 72, Uno came out. And it's still, these things are cycling around. They come back again. In 74, we had uh, Tonka Toys. Tonka Toys. They, they were big. Who got a Tonka Toy for Christmas? Give us a wave. All right, we're, we're, I'm going to keep going through Connect Four in 1976. In 90, now we started to get 1979. I was eight. Atari video games. The world of video games began to come out. Pastor Jeremy is starting to come alive now. Then we had in 1980 the Rubik's Cube. Come on, the Rubik's Cube. Someone. 1982, the BMX bike was all the rage. Now, I actually, I, I got a BMX bike in 1982. It wasn't a pink one like this. And I saved up and paid for it myself. But apart from that, 83, Cabbage Patch Kids. I, I know, I, okay, I'm, I'm starting to feel the kids of the 70s are coming alive now. You're coming alive online as well. All right, the Cabbage Patch Kids. Then the Transformers came out in 84. In 87, Jenga came out. And Jenga, we still play. Uh, keep rolling. We had the Ninja Turtles came out in 1990. Who's a Ninja Turtles fan? Come on, somebody here. There we go. Even Santa here is a Ninja Turtles fan. That's awesome. Uh, all right, rolling along. Uh, now, this, is, this wasn't me, but some of you will know 1995 Beanie Babies. Okay, I, I got married that year, so nothing child-related at all was relevant for me. That's a beanie baby. Then we came on. Tickle Me Elmo came out in 1996. Then we came to, to Furbies. 
98. Furbies? Yes? Yes? Furbies? Okay, all right. Uh, okay, yes. Razor scooters, I'm bringing you home right now. Then we started, oh, 2004, the Nintendo DS. Come on, someone, you know that. Some of you are still playing that, I can tell. We got to the Xbox in 2005. These are the most popular. 07, the world changed as the iPod Touch came out. Then we got wife, We got the, wife, the, the Wii came out. The iPad came out in 2010. We're rolling right through the 2015. Now the world it cycles around. It's Star Wars remote controls. Like Star Wars was one of the biggest gifts back in the 80s. And here we go again. So I don't know what... You, maybe that might give you some ideas this morning for uh, some gifts... As we talk this morning about the indescribable gift, and we're talking about Jesus, the indescribable gift, and what he can do in people's lives. And so before I get into my message this morning, as we talk about the indescribable gift, every service we ask someone uh, to come and share their story of what Jesus, the indescribable gift, has done in their life. And I want you to welcome up this morning a delightful young lady. Her name is Shauna Lynch, and she's going to tell you a little bit of her story and what Jesus, the indescribable gift, has done in her life. Thank you, Shauna. Hi, everyone. Um, If I haven't met you before, I'm Shauna. Um, I've been coming along to this church for about two years now. Um, So this was like my first ever church experience. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, but I was always searching everywhere for the truth. Um, I always knew that there was something after death. And I remember thinking as a kid that it's just not possible to just be black after we die. So as I got older, I started researching for myself and I kind of found myself in like new age philosophies. Um, I was into like angel cards and tarot cards and crystals and everything new age. Um, I'd come to the conclusion that all religions were distorted and that they just had pieces of the truth. And I thought that Jesus was just a wise man. So my life fell apart about two years ago. Coming through that, I was solid on the belief that I was just destined to be this free bird and I was going to travel the world and I could do it all on my own. (laughs) So I started that. I worked really hard. I saved all my money um, and I went to Indonesia for a trip. Coming back from that, my granddad, he needed to be moved into aged care. He was suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's and it was too bad for him to stay at his house. So I dropped all of my plans and I helped my family at that point. And while I was uh, helping my auntie like pack up granddad's house, she had just come to this radical idea a year ago that the Bible is the truth and the only truth. And she kept telling me so. And I was like, okay. And, um, but she really wanted to come to church. She knew that that was her next step is to be in fellowship with believers. So because I love my auntie, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come with you. And we ended up walking through the doors here at C3. So being here in church, I felt a presence like nothing before. Singing in worship, it just opened me up to how alone and brokenhearted I was actually feeling on the inside. I remember feeling like I needed Jesus in my life, that I needed his help and his rest that we were singing about. So I felt a pulse in my heart during the moment of prayer at the end of the service and it was like all the pain that I had bu- like just bubbled up inside wanting to be released. So I surrendered to Jesus and I cried a lot and it was awesome. <laughs> so after that, God showed me with a really clear sign to follow only his word. 
So my auntie, she'd given me a Bible um, of us like coming here, but at the same time I'd ordered this other New Age philosophy book. I thought they would go two and two together and I'd be very wise. <laughs> but as I actually started to read the Bible, I started to read about what Jesus was saying about himself um, and about turning away from other things and following only him. And I started to feel conflicted on the inside. I was like, well, what am I going to do when this other book arrives? The very next day after feeling that way, I woke up to an email from this book company and the book apparently was completely destroyed in transport and they were just going to refund me all of my money. <laughs> so, like that for me, that was just a sign from God, like follow the Bible, follow his word, follow Jesus. Um, so I've just been here at church head deep in Jesus since then, and it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, my life's changed from the inside out, my relationships have healed, my heart's healed, and I've just been blessed with the most amazing community of people, so, Beautiful. yeah, thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Shauna. Come on, put your hands together for Shauna and what God is doing in her life. And maybe this morning you're watching, you're in the room, and you're, you're joining us today, and you're you're at a point where you need something to get you through some pain that you're going through a little bit like Shauna. I would, I would hope that today, if you would open up your heart, that the message of Jesus Christ and His goodness and what He's got for you would, would be a powerful message that will be life-transforming. I'd like to pray for us as we begin to come around a short message together right now. Father, we thank you today that you've done something wonderful in Shauna's life and in so many others' life. I thank you for the, the love that you have for every person who's joining with us today. And I'm asking Holy Spirit that as we talk and as we share about Jesus, the indescribable gift, that you would open up hearts to you, that there would be a sense today that rather than living at a surface level, we'd be able to tap into something deeper, something more profound, something eternal, of the goodness of God. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 is a verse in the Bible that says this, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift, the gift of Jesus. Maybe you've heard about the, the little girl who came home from her Sunday school uh, waving a piece of paper saying, Mom, Mom, the teacher said I've written the most uh, unusual and amazing Christmas picture she's ever seen. Her mom studied the picture for a while and thought that is indeed very peculiar. It's wonderfully drawn, but can you tell me, sweetheart, why are there people uh, on the riding on the back of an aeroplane? And she quickly said, well, of course, that's the flight from into Egypt, the little girl said, without a hint of with a hint of disappointment that the mother didn't realize that Jesus and his family had gone on a flight into Egypt. Okay, and so who's the man up the front? And she goes, well, it's obvious. That's Pontius the pilot, isn't it? Didn't you, didn't you know about that, mum? You obviously haven't heard. Okay. She goes on and says, oh, I can see the passengers. There's Mary and there's Joseph and there's baby Jesus. Looked at it for a little while and then Who's the big fat man sitting behind Mary? And the little girl sighed. Can't you tell? That's round John Virgin. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but sometimes you've sung the Christmas carols, you've heard the Christmas stories, but maybe you've never put together the meaning of Christmas. And the meaning of Christmas is that Jesus came to give us 
give us life. He came to give us life in abundance. And I want to talk about the gift that Jesus is. And I'm not sure if you've ever seen those little Russian dolls. I've got some photos of them before. They're, they're called Motroshka dolls, or some people call them Babushka, or stacking dolls, or nesting dolls. And they're the big, a big doll that can actually have about nine other little dolls fit inside of them. And when I think about Jesus as the gift of Christmas, the indescribable gift, I think about the layers of the gift that Jesus is to each one of us. It's not just one thing that we get. It's not just eternal life. It's not just heaven that we get from a relationship with Jesus. But there are multiple components that we engage, that happen for us if we open up our heart to Jesus Christ, the one who we sing the Christmas carols about. And today, I want to talk about three of the things that come with Jesus, three of the things that happen when we accept Christ God's son, born in a manger, raised, lived for 30 years, began his ministry and taught us about God and the ways of God and ultimately was crucified on a cross. Three things or three gifts that come with Jesus. The very first one is this, it's life in the full. Life in the full. In John chapter 10, Jesus is recorded saying these words, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. That's talking about the devil. But Jesus said, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expected, life in its fullness until you overflow. Now, I'm not sure about you here this morning as you're joining with us of what your image or perception of Christianity or Jesus Christ is, but for many of us, it's been shaped by our experience of religion. Many of us, it's, it's, been, it's been shaped uh, not, not necessarily even by personal experience, by what you've seen on TV, uh, the, the misconceptions that people have believed, like the little girl and writing her, writing her own Christmas story. I remember a friend of mine who, who came to this church for the first time many years ago, and when he looked around, he just could not believe, one, that there were normal people. He looked around, he saw there were fun people, there were vibrant people. He said, I just expected to see comb-overs and safari suits. That was my image of what church was going to be like. Uh, many people feel that when they come to church, the main thing is going to happen is we're going to be made to feel guilty. We're going to be, we're going to be squashed. We're going to be, it's, it's like God is the divine killjoy. And I'm going to come and hear a list of things that I can't do so that my life will be, get smaller and more restricted. But Jesus came and said, I'm not coming to give you a list of things that you can't do. I'm coming to give you a full life. I'm coming to give you an incredible life, a, a colorful life. I want to take your life from black and white and I want to turn it into color. I want to take your life uh, from two dimensional and put the three dimensional glasses on and open you up to spiritual realities. Years ago, uh, Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel, the top of the Sistine Chapel. I've had the privilege of being there in that room, and it was, it's, it's amazing. And, and uh, people would study it. Hundreds of years later, they would study it, and they would look at it. And it was intricate uh, painting and drawings of, of, of the disciples and Jesus and all these different things, but, but it, was, it was dull, and it was, it was uh, not, not vibrant at all. And so uh, historians and, and the religious people particularly made these comments. Obviously, his image of God, his image of Christianity is, is more about uh, that it's dull and, and it's boring and it just needs to be plain. And, 
until they realized that what, what had happened, someone got in one day to begin to clean the ceiling and they got a special removal of, of, of impurities and they began to clean the ceiling and they realized that actually underneath was his vibrant colors. It was, it was beautiful and colorful and vibrant, but, but the candles that they'd lit for incense and for their services, the, the smoke had gone up to the ceiling and it, it had over-colored over and, and dulled down all of this vibrant color. And so often that's what religion does to the message of Jesus Christ. Our own, our own humanity tends to distort it and, and so easily we want to make it about rules rather than the joy and the fullness of life that Jesus came to offer. John chapter 3, verse 6 says this, Humans can reproduce only human life. This is Jesus speaking. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. When, when Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in the full, he's talking about not, not, not just external things that are going really well, but an internal birth, a rebirth, a spiritual rebirth. He said it like this in John chapter 4, verse 13. Anyone who drinks the water will soon become thirsty again. He was talking about physical water. But those who drink the water that I give, a spiritual water, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus came to give us a full life, but so often when we think of what's a full life, we think of experiences. We think of possessions. We think of titles that we earn or, or wealth that we accumulate or, or fame that we, that we achieve. And we think, oh, that will give me a full life. That will give me an exciting life. But, but Jesus said, those things are good, but they won't fill you. What will fill you, what will, what will give you a full life is a direct connection with God himself. And that can only happen with a spiritual rebirth. It's not about an external life or a circumstantial life. In fact, some of the most, the happiest people I know, the most joy-filled people I know, their, their, their external life, it, you think, wow, how can you be so happy when this is what's going on? But what's going on is they've got the life of God bubbling up on the inside. It's a, uh, Jesus called it, you need to be born again, a rebirth. He came that we might have a rebirth, a spiritually coming alive. So many people, when they think about Christianity, have this misconception that Christianity is taking someone who's bad and making them good. And therefore, often we go, well, I, I, some people, two extremes. I, I couldn't become a Christian because the stuff I've done is so bad. And if everybody in the room knew what I'd done, they would discount me from belonging because my past discounts me and so they're like I couldn't become a Christian because it's and then other people go this well I don't need to become a Christian because I'm a pretty good person and if I'm a pretty good person not like so-and-so or so-and-so then why, why would I need to become a brand new per to, to, to become a Christian I'm not that bad but that's a misunderstanding of the truth of Christianity because truth is not taking a bad person and making them good. Christianity is taking someone who is spiritually dead and bringing us alive. It's a rebirth. It's a tuning into another dimension where God himself is real. And that can only happen not through an intellectual experience, but through a spiritual rebirth. Jesus said, number one, the gift that keeps on giving is that he came to give us life in the full.
The second thing that I want to focus on today that comes with a, a life in Christ or comes with the gift of Jesus is the inner peace of a cleansed conscience. The inner peace of a cleansed conscience. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says this, Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. A perfect sacrifice for our sins. Uh, recently, uh, uh, some of my friends from an exercise group that I go to came along to church. And uh, one of the comments they made to each other was, oh, did you feel guilty when you went into the church about those red wines that you'd had on Saturday night? That was the conversation. It was, it was like, oh, come into church and start going through the lines of all the things I've done wrong. That's, yeah, and that's kind of normal for us. You see, God actually created you and I with a conscience. That conscience is a good thing, not a bad thing. That conscience, in a, in a way, it's been described like this. Our conscience is like a window that the, that the light comes into that shines light on the things where we don't, meet up to, don't live up to the standard that God created us for. And so our consciences aren't a bad thing. And sometimes uh, we, people can resist coming to church because we feel like when I come to church, my conscience is going to condemn me. I'm actually going to be aware of my mistakes and my shortfalls and my shortcomings. That's not the intention of what Jesus intended church to be. The intention is that it's loving and it's kind and it's celebration. But the reality is there's this, there's this thing inside of us where we all fall short of God's glory. We all, we're all sinners. There's, a, there's a, the expression, and you may have heard it, a, a scapegoat. I'm pretty sure most of us would have heard the expression of a scapegoat. A scapegoat would be poor old Ben Hunt with the Broncos when they lost the grand final a number of years ago. He was the scapegoat, just for those of you who are football lovers. Okay. A scapegoat is, is someone we want to take the blame for our stuff. So in Bible times, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, once a year they would have what was called the Day of Atonement, and the priests would take a, a goat and they would, they, would, they would ceremonially take the guilt of the people and put it on the goat, and then they would release it outside the city to run into the wilderness, and it was called the scapegoat for everybody's sins. That's what the goat was all about. It was a type of one day of Jesus, the indescribable gift, who would come and he would outside of the city die on a cross for the sins of everybody. He would pay the price for the sins of everybody. He would be our scapegoat or the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the joy of the gift of Christ is this, as if we will actually take a moment and go, you know what? I have fallen short of God's glory. I do have a guilty conscience. And the way that I'm going to deal with my guilty conscience is not this. I, I'm not going to blame somebody else. I'm not going to attack somebody else. I'm not going to try and escape from the guilt that I have on the inside. I'm not going to try and rationalize the guilt. I'm not going to try and be so good that I overcompensate for the guilt. The only way that we deal with the guilt that all of us carry to try and deal with is not through trying to be a better person in our own strength. The only thing that can deal with the problem of sin, which is the problem of, that all of us carry, it's the reason that we have a, a, a dispeace in our heart, the only thing that will deal with that lack of peace is the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing our, cleansing our conscience. And a clean conscience is a wonderful thing. So often when I 
see people who have made a connection with God. At the end of this sermon, there'll be an opportunity for those of you in Melbourne, those of you online, those of you here in this room, there'll be an opportunity to say, I want my conscience cleansed by the forgiveness that can only come through Jesus. Not because I'm going to give a lot of money away. Not because I'm going to come to church every week. Not because I'm going to turn over a new leaf. But I'm owning that I've made mistakes and I've got things I'm ashamed of and I've got things that I wish I'd never done. And I, I hate living with the guilt of those things and, and, and I suppress them and push them down. So I'm, I'm going to receive the gift of forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can offer. When you do that, oh, so many people, when they say, oh, I received Christ, the first thing I noticed was this incredible peace. That incredible peace that so many people talk about is because suddenly the burden of our sin has lifted off us and the gift of Jesus Christ is a cleansed conscience and a peace in our heart. The third thing that I want to talk about, we're talking about life and life to the full, a cleansed conscience, is purpose. Jesus came to give you a life of purpose. So often we, we focus so much on success but not significance. We, we, try to, we, we try to do things, and I, I read this week about the, the builder of the Taj Mahal. In 1629, his name was Shah Jahan, and his favorite wife of this Indian ruler died, so he decided to build, and make, yes, I said favorite wife, that's okay. Uh, he decided to build, babe, you're my favorite wife. Phew. He decided to build a magnificent tomb to her. And so they took his wife's casket and they placed it in the middle of an empty piece of land and they began to, to literally construct a temple around the outside of this casket. And as they built it and built it over a couple of years, the, the, the Shah's grief for his wife died away and his passion for the project increased until one day, a couple of years into the project, it's recorded that he stumbled over a wooden box. And when he didn't realize what it was, he asked him to throw it out. Because he'd lost sight of what was the reason he'd begun and became all encompassed about building this successful big ornament. He lost sight of the original purpose. You see, one of the great gifts that come with Jesus Christ is that you were designed and created with a purpose. The Bible says this, you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, when God uh, created heaven and earth and he thought of you and he said, one day I'm going to create one of you, he wrote down in a book all of these incredible things that he wanted you to do. And so then when he created you, he gave you this personality that goes perfectly with those things he created you for. And he gave you these abilities and these gifts and, and this wiring that goes per perfectly with exactly the way that you're created. Because you were created as his masterpiece. And he was waiting for the moment then when you would say, okay, God, I'm surrendering my will and the way I want to do things and I'm receiving your purpose and I'm now going to start to live for you. And when you begin to live for God, a sense of destiny comes into your heart. A sense of, instead of going around and around and around in circles, I went through the IGA the other day, I said to a young man, uh, we were just having a conversation, he said, what are you going to do today? And I told him, I said, what are you going to do today? And he goes, oh, I'm just going to have some beers. There's literally nothing else for me to do. 
I was like, no, that's it? Just living from some beers to some beers to some beers? What an empty life. God didn't create you to live an empty life. Yes, having fun along the way is part of it, but what will give you the most sense of fulfillment is when you tap into the purpose that God created you for. Ralph Barton, one of America's top cartoonists, took his own life and he wrote on the pillow, I've had very few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I've gone from house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I'm fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. Emptiness. And I wonder today, as you're watching and you're listening, you're joining with us, if there's an emptiness in your heart, I want you to know that the gift that Jesus comes to give you is the gift of purpose. There is a greater purpose, an eternal purpose, a sense of significance for you. If only you would surrender your life to God and say, okay. And this is what Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you've got to lay it down. And when you do that, he says, I come. And inside of you is the seed of of greatness and significance. But you have to surrender. You have to receive the forgiveness that Christ offers by asking for forgiveness. And when you do that, a great life, his life comes into us. I want to pray for us right now. The indescribable gift of Jesus. Father, I pray for every person who's joining with us today, wherever they are, you know and you're with them, Holy Spirit. I'm asking this morning that you would shine hope into hearts that have lost hope. For those who are just going around and around in circles without any sense of purpose, today would be the day when they connect to their Creator and begin to live life on purpose. I'm asking that the love of God would touch every heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to the realm of your Holy Spirit, to things of eternity. Asking it in the name of Jesus.